moving ahead through Friday and into the weekend for you. It is the Rural Radio Network and our Friday edition of Midday coming to you. And we have uh, all the fresh voices with all the fresh ideas as we move ahead. One of those is going to be Shaley Peters, who sits in here for Susan Littlefield today. Susan, I'm sorry, Shaley. See, I've got this thing going on in my head here. She, the, Shaley will call me, and, and what's the first thing I say, Shay? Well, hello, Susan. Yep, every time. I do it every time. I'm ready to send Shaley's genetic material off to Ancestry to see if there's a connection, because I cannot tell you guys apart. I know. It's our favorite trick to play on you, Dirk. Okay. But, to my defense, you thought Susan sounded like? My mom. Yeah, your mother. See? So, I'm pretty sure I'm related to her. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably related to your mom, I should think. (laughs) Anyway, give our best to to, uh, mom, because uh, we know she's the one who brought you to us, uh, actually, if the story I remember is right about Shady. That's true. It is. Okay, well, let's find out what the Ag teams have been working on for the Friday edition of Midday. Well, of course, because it's Friday up at 1219, we're going to visit with Al Dutcher, our weekly weather outlook with him. And it sounds like parts of the state could see some precipitation. Of course, he's been talking about over the weekends, we head into the weekend and storms like to show up and even maybe a little snow uh, in the northern part of the state. So we'll get an update there from him. And then at 1245, Bryce is on with our new Ag Director, Steve Wellman. Of course, this week, National Ag Week, coming to an end, and it's his first one as the Director of Ag for Nebraska, so we'll get his thoughts there on National Ag Week. Of course, they were traveling around the state. At 117, Susan will be on with the new Beef Board Chairman, Joan Russkamp. She is a Nebraska beef producer, and she talks about the beef checkoff, all the great things, and then she's also with Common Ground. She has a lot of tie-ins there as far as what that done for her as a beef producer. So a lot of great ag information coming your way uh, during today's midday. Shaley, I have to tell you that your four-letter word there got a thumbs down from Brandon. I know. I have no control over it, though. You can blame Al if you want. I tell him that all the time. Yeah, You can call him (laughs) Al, or you you can call him whatever you want to after you hear what he has to say. (laughs) Thanks very much, Shay. All right, let's move on to Brandon Bennett, who has the sports microphone today. We're going to be talking about a lot of Nebraska baseball here. We're even going to hear from head coach Darren Erstad because they start Big Ten play over the course of the weekend. The Huskers are 12-9 and overall. Minnesota comes in at 14-8, and so pretty even matchup here. And we'll see if the Huskers can defend their Big Ten title from last weekend, or last year, I should say. And there's a big difference, Dirk, between Nebraska basketball yeah. and basketball in Nebraska. Because Nebraska basketball is over, uh-huh. but we're still playing basketball in Nebraska. In fact, Coach Mike Krzyzewski, their team landed a little while ago. Duke playing Syracuse tonight at the 837 game, and the entree to that is still top-seeded KU. The Jayhawks coming back to Nebraska. KU will be playing Clemson at the 607 game tonight. So big games in the Big O tonight at the CenturyLink Center. So lots of basketball still to be played in Nebraska. Well, if we can't make it to basketball, basketball will come to us. Absolutely. There you go. Bob Brogan in business. World markets are roiled by rising fears of a U.S.-China trade war. That's in the news today. Also, Congress has okayed a $1.3 trillion budget, averting another shutdown. And also, uh, several major business and economic reports are due out today. Those stories and more coming up. It's all part of your Friday edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Paul Perkins joins us now with a look at ag weather presented by Holdridge Irrigation. And you say that things are kind of ramping up just a bit along the border, aren't they? Yes, uh, the potential for some severe weather now by the Storm Prediction Center indicating a slight risk of severe storms, especially right along the Nebraska-Kansas border from McCook to Beatrice and also from about Norton to Marysville, where we do have that greater risk of severe weather. Otherwise, most of southern Nebraska and northern Kansas under a marginal risk for severe storms today. And after being dry for most of the morning, we're starting to see some development of showers along through the uh, panhandle and up toward Valentine. Yeah, most likely that's behind a front that's moving through northwestern Nebraska. Ahead of that front, though, a lot of us enjoying some very mild conditions currently. We do have temperatures in most areas of Nebraska, anyhow, in the low to mid-40s, but farther south, we are looking at temperatures closer to 50 to 55 then over northern Kansas, some mid to upper 50s, and already up to 63 at Goodland and 61 over northeast Colorado. Some rain and thunderstorms likely this afternoon and tonight as an area of low pressure tracks out of eastern Colorado and across northern Kansas. And once again, we do have that slight risk for severe storms now. The first time this year from McCook to Beatrice and from Norton to Marysville, basically right along the Nebraska-Kansas border there in those areas. A marginal risk of severe storms, maybe some strong activity south of I-80, where we could see some hail up to an inch in size and some wind gusts up to about 40 to 50. As this system exits quickly tomorrow, we'll see high pressure clear the skies and leave us with some seasonably cool air. With the passage of a weak disturbance tomorrow night, there is the potential of a little light rain. A wintry mix could occur from the Tri-Cities north and east late tomorrow night into Sunday morning. Now, more rain is likely by Sunday night into Monday as another area of low pressure emerges out of the Rockies. A few non-severe thunderstorms are possible late Sunday night through Monday evening south of Interstate 80. There is a potential of a changeover to wet snow across northwest Nebraska after midnight Sunday night with some minor accumulations and mostly on grassy areas. High pressure clears the skies for Tuesday, but we are watching the potential of some Arctic air dropping south Wednesday with the front. In the long-term forecast, that cooler air sticks around. Cooler than normal temperatures are forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the first five days of April. Early April highs in central Nebraska usually average in the upper 50s with overnight lows mostly in the low 30s. Our precipitation forecast expecting near-normal precipitation in the middle of next week in Nebraska and Kansas. That forecast trends drier than normal late next week through April 5th. Key weather factors driving the markets include additional dryness in central Argentina and another week of dry weather for the southern plains. An early season heat wave underway across the central and southern high plains. High temperatures today could top 90 as far as south as far north as southwest Kansas. That heat, drought, high winds, and low humidity already contributing to an extreme wildfire threat in western Kansas. We do have uh, red flag warnings posted for most of western Kansas. We already have temperatures towards the southwest corner of Kansas in the upper 70s. That heat looks to end early next week across the southern plains, but no significant precipitation for the southern plains indicated the next 10 days where winter wheat crop rainies are already at poor levels. Accumulating snow will spread southeast from the northern plains and reach the central and southern Appalachians tomorrow. Early next week, a stronger storm expected across the plains. Heavy rain expected from the southeast plains into the mid-Mississippi Valley. That wet pattern will delay corn planting across the delta. Additional snow should fall in the north-central U.S. and benefit crop areas. In Argentina, 
More losses for late-filling soybeans due to drought are expected. Rain tonight expected to be mostly light. That will be followed by another significant period of dry weather. Midday Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And uh, Paul, describe once again for us that. Is it a slight risk, you say, along the border there? Yes, uh, right along the Nebraska-Kansas border, basically McCook on over to Beatrice and also Norton to Concordia and Phillipsburg. We do now have a slight risk of severe storms, which is the first for this year. Earlier we were just looking at maybe just a marginal risk, but now we do have that slight risk. So that severe threat increasing right along the Nebraska-Kansas border for today. And you will remember that our live KRVN Storm Center coverage is presented by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around with locations in Kearney and Columbus and by American Family Insurance serving Lexington and Kearney. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. National Biodiesel Board is disappointed by failure to renew biodiesel tax credit. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Congress expected to pass the omnibus spending bill to fund the government, but did not include a reinstatement of the biodiesel tax credit. As the National Biodiesel Board is again disappointed that Congress has failed to provide pro-growth tax certainty for a domestic energy industry that has broad bipartisan support. The lack of urgency by Congress in extending the expired tax credit continues to frustrate the producers, blenders, and marketers of biodiesel. That according to Kurt Kvarlik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. He says, we'll work to educate members on the economic and environmental benefits of increased use of biodiesel so that Congress is poised to drive investments in this American energy industry. Gene editing technology has the potential to eradicate diseases like PERS. Center for Food Integrity CEO Charlie Arnott says that the sky is a limit with this scientific advancement. Oh, I really think it is. I mean, we've had the chance to, to present and have conversations with people who are heavily involved in the technology development, and it just blows your mind the kinds of things they're thinking about. Microbes that will capture environmental nitrogen and fix them to the roots of corn. Uh, the ability to continue to use, obviously, fewer pesticides and crop chemicals and to be able to breathe specific consumer-friendly traits, uh, more nutrient dense products, products that will last longer on the shelf. I mean, it's, it is virtually endless, and it's certainly more precise, but we are also coming off of the GMO hangover, and so we've got to figure out how we're going to manage that to make the public and, more importantly, food system stakeholders more comfortable with the technology going forward. And said it's important to be a part of the dialogue when it comes to gene editing. One of the things that we've learned from the, the biotechnology GMO debate is if you're not using the language that's being used in common culture, you're never going to show up in anybody's search engine. And so if you, if you call it something other than what the, the public is calling it, you're not relevant to the conversation. So in terms of transparency and making sure we actually show up on the first two pages of, of a search engine, we have to call it what, what, it's, what others are calling it. So we can talk about it in terms of advanced breeding by gene editing and other things to kind of put it into a context. But we're going to need to be able to use those terms because what we've discovered is, again, going back to best food facts, we show up a number of times on, on page one on Google. If you search topics around gene editing, if you search biotechnology, you're on page two or three, and that's where issues go to die. So if you're not on the first page, nobody's going to look at it. So we really have to use the language that's being used in common culture in order to be relevant to the discussion. He spoke most recently at the Pork Industry Forum. 
A statement from the U.S. Grains Council President and CEO Tom Slight says that while we are not surprised, we are dismayed at new tariff announced by the Trump administration against China, which will almost certainly prompt immediate and painful retaliation against U.S. agriculture, which have already complicated our global efforts to promote sales of U.S. grains and grain products. The farmers and exporters we represent have been there before in this relationship with China. Since 2010, we've been adversely impacted by trade policy actions by China against U.S. distillers' dry grains and solubles, sorghum, ethanol, and corn. We've been supported, targeted. U.S. government efforts to address these issues have nevertheless remained dedicated to the China market because it holds immense growth potential for U.S. agriculture. Now, he went on to say in the long term, U.S. agriculture must have a stable and coherent trade policy to thrive. The world is watching what the country does next, and markets have long memories. Agriculture is a positive contributor to the balance of trade. I'm Susan Littlefield, Liberal Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, a pretty nice week as we kicked off into spring here. Can we expect some more of this nice weather headed into this weekend and next week? Well, as seems to be the, what has been consensus over the last few weeks, is we're coming into the weekend, so we can deal with another storm system moving into our region. In fact, the warm front has already slipped, slipped, slipped through the state. We're seeing a uh, ahead of that warm front, particularly from northeast Nebraska, eastern Dakotas, southeastward through Iowa, an area of precipitation that's developed. This looks to be the core area of heavy precipitation as we move through the day today. And then as we get into this evening, we see the upper level support coming in from the west that will cross the state, will reinforce some of the precipitation, actually give us a decent shot of thunderstorm development, particularly across the eastern half of the state with the most concentrated area of heavier precipitation, most likely the eastern one-third of the state. Unfortunately, it looks like a substantial portion of the western part of the state will not see significant moisture with this system. In the meantime, this is associated with the large upper cough coming to the western United States. And this first piece of energy will start to weaken somewhat as it moves toward the east. And the main upper air low itself will start to eject out as we go into the later half of the weekend. And that upper air low is potentially uh, going to move eastward through the Texas region at a very slow pace. And this is a setup for some exceptionally heavy precipitation developing along the front uh, as it moves eastward. And so most of eastern Texas, eastern Oklahoma, and this would be the eastern third of both of these states, uh, the areas that were hit by the flooding here during late February, particularly Arkansas, southern Missouri, and then northeastward to the western Tennessee, Kentucky, and southern Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois, looking to see anywhere from three to six inches as this system itself slowly pulls toward the east. For us, though, what it looks like the most uh, concentrated area of precipitation with this ejection of this upper or low to go into late week and early next week will be across again the eastern part of the state, as we will still see some of that trough action to the north of us. Uh, that will take the cooler air over to the Great Lakes. So we will probably see some accumulating snowfall once again in the Dakotas, Minnesota, and the Great Lakes, and more on the line of severe thunderstorms moving through eastern Nebraska, particularly southeast Nebraska, for a couple of days before a couple of little systems are expected to move in a northwest flow as the system that, that we're talking about really strengthens along the eastern seaboard. That's going to bring a cool uh, northwest flow on the back side of that trough. Several systems indicated to move through the region, particularly Thursday, Friday, and next Sunday. 
These do not look to be major events, but they do have enough cold air that we could see some wet snow flakes, particularly across the northern one-third of the state, with a rain-snow mix possible as we go farther south. And so we're looking at, in this next seven-day period, three-quarters to an inch and a quarter of moisture across the eastern one-third of the state. And we're looking at much significantly less total if we get the central third, probably in the a quarter to upwards of an inch range, particularly the farther east you go. And then unfortunately, you get southwest in the Queen Handle. Looks like we're looking at less than a tenth of an inch. The areas to the southwest, unfortunately, this would be Oklahoma, Texas. Those regions look like they're once again going to get short change on the Savannah. heavy precipitation in the eastern half of those states. So we will see some relief on the eastern extent of the winter wheat belt, but in the core area where we can see significant drought problems, it does not look like we'll see substantial relief, at least in the near future. All right. Thanks so much, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaley Peters. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. The Husker baseball team looks to defend its conference title from a year ago as Nebraska begins Big Ten action at home against Minnesota this evening. Earlier this week on the Husker Sports Network, head coach Darren Erstad offered his feelings on the Gophers, a team he feels is a tough opponent to open up against. Well, this year they've really upped the ante, and, and I think it's going to pay off for them. So obviously they're going to be very tough, and they can really swing the bats. I mean, they've got a lot of guys back. Oh, I think they have everybody back except one guy, so it's going to be a challenge for us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a big 10, and who, who knows? I mean, Indiana's playing well, uh, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be a dogfight. The Huskers are 12-9 and overall, the Gophers 14-8, and and they're coming off a series win over ninth-ranked TCU last weekend. Game one of the series is set for tonight at 6.35 p.m. Four teams have moved on to the Elite Eight in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament by winning last night. Loyola of Chicago has continued its Cinderella run through the tournament by beating 10th seed Nevada 69-68 in Atlanta. The Ramblers were clinging to a one-point lead until Marquise Towns hit a three-pointer with 6.3 seconds to play. The Ramblers have a Saturday meeting with Kansas State after the ninth-ranked Wildcats pulled off a 61-58 victory over number 5 Kentucky. Barry Brown provided a tie-breaking layup with 19 seconds left to put K-State one win away from reaching their first Final since 1964. Number three, Michigan moved on in Los Angeles by shooting 62% from the floor in a 99-72 route of Texas A&M. Muhammad Ali Abdur-Rakim scored 24 points and Mo Wagner added 21 to send the Wolverines to the Elite Eight for the third time in six years. Michigan hit 10 of their 14 three-pointers by halftime and stretched its winning streak to 12 games. Next up for the Wolverines, they'll face ninth-ranked Florida State, who advanced to the regional finals for the third time in school history. The Seminoles entered the tournament having gone just 9-9 in the ACC before dropping its opening game of the conference tournament. And there's going to be lots of basketball in Omaha tonight. The Century Link Center will be one of the sites used for the Sweet 16 this weekend in the men's tournament. Top-seeded KU plays Clemson at the 6:07 game this evening, and the second game has Duke versus Syracuse with a scheduled tip time at 8.37 p.m. And at Boston's TD Garden, it's West Virginia against Villanova and then Purdue versus Texas Tech. And the Cornhusker State games take place in June, but early registration is open now, and you can save money at the same time. Director Dave Menarek talks about the registration. We kind of have a tiered entry fee structure, so now is the best time to get in, get your registration in is now because the fee goes up after March 29th. So you have a few days to get it together, and you just go to cornhuskerstategames.com 
and you can find information on any of the 60-plus sports that we offer, and you can hit the register button. Get your skin in the game, get signed up, and start training, or put your team together, get organized, get ready for a, a great weekend in Lincoln during the state game. Last year, more than 10,000 contestants took part in the Cornhusker State Games. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Chance of rain and thunderstorms throughout the night. A slight chance of some severe weather along the Nebraska-Kansas border in the south-central part of Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder with a check of news. Governor Pete Ricketts issued a terse statement today following another vote on adjustments to the state budget. He said that for the second time in three days, senators failed to move budget adjustments forward on a procedural vote. He said that by filibustering the mainline budget, some state senators were putting vital state services for children at risk. He says because of an influx of children into the child welfare system, funding will run out in May. He said it's absolutely critical that the legislature move the budget forward, which contains new child welfare funding, and get it to his desk. He said that some Appropriations Committee members who had voted the budget out of committee changed their votes on the floor, stifling the progress on the floor. Two Appropriations Committee members continued to filibuster the budget. They voted out of committee on the second vote. The yellow flag iris that is being considered as a possible noxious weed in Lincoln County. Clay Patton has more on how Lincoln County Weed Superintendent is handling the invasive plant. Todd Herndon, Lincoln County Weed Superintendent, is trying to stop the spread of the yellow flag iris. The once ornamental plant can grow to more than four feet tall and is poisonous to any animal that eats it and can cause a rash on a person if they touch the flower. It has taken some time, but Todd believes that he has found a way to control the plant. The best way I've found is to just spray it with an aquatic glyphosate, which is aquatic Roundup. There's a meeting on April 2nd at the Lincoln County Courthouse to hear the public's opinion on the yellow flag iris and if it should be labeled as a noxious weed. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Kansas is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn a federal appeals court ruling that prevents the state from cutting off Medicaid funds to a Planned Parenthood affiliate. Republican Governor Jeff Collier said that the state is seeking to reverse a 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals decision last month. The appeals court's decision blocked Kansas from ending its contract with Planned Parenthood Great Plains. Kansas legislators have taken a step towards greater transparency in law enforcement with the Senate passing a bill that would require departments to share body camera footage more quickly. The vote yesterday was unanimous and sent the bill to the House. It would give law enforcement agencies up to 20 days to release footage sought on the subjects of the footage, their attorneys, legal guardians, or next of kin. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're talking with Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Steve Wilman. This is great timing, Director Wilman, as you and the governor are wrapping up your celebration of National Ag Week, of course, a week-long celebration of agriculture, and you've been traveling across the state with the governor from essentially one end to the other, haven't you? Yeah, we covered uh, quite a bit of the state between some travels uh, during during the week for Ag Week and and really focused in uh, on three important messages, and that's uh, bringing added value to Nebraska ag products, 
uh, either through processing into biofuels, livestock feed, and then uh, or, and then livestock, and then the processing that it goes along with with those meat products. Uh, the other one is international trade, the importance of international trade of Nebraska products. Of Nebraska's farmers or ranchers are are really highly productive and and very diverse from you know grapes and and hops to to the livestock sector and. So once we have those products produced here, you know, what do, what do we do with them? 95% of the population lies outside of the United States. So not only do we uh, focus in on meeting the domestic market demand, but uh, the international market certainly plays a, a big part of, of selling these products that we produce. And then the third area was property tax relief for farmers and ranchers. Uh, Governor Ricketts and, and Senator Smith have a bill, LB 947, that came out of committee recently and and which is focused on reducing property tax burden to to agriculture, and so those were the three main topics. But we overall just had a uh, good tour of Nebraska and, and visited a lot with the farmers and ranchers and industry throughout the state. Well, let's uh, dive in a little bit more on on some of the messages you were sharing as you traveled across the state, and then we'll talk about the, some of the responses from the people you were talking with. But you you talk about adding value to what we currently do. Discuss some of the opportunities you see in terms of Nebraska agriculture to add value. Well, one of the key things in Nebraska is, is if we look at the livestock production, whether it's cattle, uh, pork, uh, dairy, and, and the poultry, the growing poultry industry here, but uh, the, the usage that they have for our commodities of corn and, and soybeans specifically. And, and on the corn sector, you know, corn, corn production uh, processed into ethanol, which is a, a great clean air fuel, and, and then the byproduct is fed to a lot of the livestock particularly cattle and then so it makes a good synergistic type of a uh, system between the corn ethanol and, and livestock feed and really that's uh, the ultimate in bringing value to that raw commodity of corn so focusing in focusing in on that and just uh, what we can do to, to grow the livestock sector we uh, we do have the livestock friendly counties and we have 44 counties in the state so far that have designated themselves as livestock friendly which really means we're open for business, uh, and and then on top of that, we do have the uh, livestock siting matrix, which can be used to help those counties uh, place livestock uh, livestock operations within their county. So uh, those are some of the things that we talked about, and then we did uh, actually go to um, Tyson Fresh Meats in Lexington, where where they were processing cattle at that time for the the european market so it's really there's there's a lot of good things going on in in nebraska agriculture that that brings value to uh to not only the farm sector but to our entire state you mentioned property tax relief is one of the topics of discussion as you and the governor traveled across the state is that something you're hearing from producers as well still the need for property tax reform in the nebraska legislature Yes, it certainly is. There's a big focus on property tax relief, uh, the uh, the burden it's putting on our farmers and ranchers here in the state, and it's uh, <clears throat> it, it really has grown uh, a lot in the last uh, 10, 15 years. I know on the, on our farm, for example, when I go back and look at uh, the last 15 years, the amount of property tax has basically tripled, and so that's a, that's a big area of growth of a, an expense that really does not help bring additional value back to to the farm or uh, or the ranches out here so it's been a focus it's definitely a hot topic and we hope to see some progress with lb 947 as you reflect on your experience were there other messages or, or things you heard from across the state and in, in terms of things you can bring back and continue to work on from the department's perspective 
Yes, there is. One thing I'd want to uh, bring bring to attention here is the uh, an, an agronomy academy in the York area. It's a joint agriculture education program between Seward, York, and Centennial High Schools, supported by the seed industry, including uh, Corteva, the, the new uh, the, the new joint venture between Dupont and and Dow, and then also uh, really the the program is the curriculum is focused on providing students agronomic skills and education to spur their interest in having a career in in agronomy or agriculture in general so i think from the department of ag standpoint one of the things we do is promote and develop agriculture and and really the message that this program brings to these students is there's great opportunities out here in nebraska in the agricultural field you know the uh, a two-year degree a trade a trade degree can bring great value and then land you a, a wonderful job, a nice, uh, good quality, high paying job in the state. And certainly want to focus on keeping those types of kids here in the state. We do have a low unemployment rate here. And so for us to be able to continue to grow agriculture and bring businesses into the state, we certainly need to have the workforce here that can help these businesses uh, grow and, and expand in our state. That was Nebraska Department of Ag Director Steve Wellman as we highlight National Agriculture Week. Reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio at Nebraska Innovation Campus, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskit on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network with the closing Livestock Futures Report with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities and Joe Trump's Trump tariffs in China. Kind of the big word here on the day as we close in the red. Yes, it is. And it affected uh, both cattle and hogs uh, uh, once again. And uh, it's been uh, been a very tough week, a devastating week for uh, livestock. Uh, as we finish lower straight across uh, on all three, uh, the cattle, the feeder cattle, and the hogs. Uh, there wasn't much help in the cattle either. Uh, what traded uh, so far seems to be a little bit weaker uh, than the day before. And uh, the cutouts were lower at noon, which obviously wouldn't help either. So uh, and combine everything, and it just kept the pressure on throughout the day. We finished near the, the lows of the day. Same for the hogs. The hogs uh, really uh, just didn't have much of a chance uh, as uh, the, the talk of tariffs and, and China... Uh, putting a tariff on uh, our pork coming in uh, to their country and uh, the cutouts at noon were a little higher but uh, that didn't help much either it's it's a, a game of fear here right now in the uh, livestock and, and that's what's dominating the market is the fear now we do have a cattle on feed report uh, out at 2 o'clock this afternoon they are looking for uh, numbers on feed to be about 8% uh, greater than last year. Uh, placement's about 4% higher and marketing's about 1% higher. That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us, taking us through the closing livestock futures on the Rural Radio Network. agriculture on a variety of different levels has set the pace forward for the new beef board chairman. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. In the conversation I had with Joan Ruskamp, we talked about Common Ground, an organization we're both involved in that set the line for communication for her and also 
added to it for the beef board. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up, too, because part of producer communication lies on our side of the fence. You know, as producers, we need to communicate our story. Common Ground was where I really received that first opportunity to be trained and understand the importance of conversation and focusing on being that positive. We don't berate each other as producers, whether it's a person like me in a feedlot or someone out on a ranch. We're all in this together, um, that we're inclusive in that matter. We're credible. Everything we do with, through our checkoff funds for research is credible. It's peer-reviewed science. And so we have a solid foundation when we tell people about the nutritional value of beef. We have rock science to back that up. Um, and then to just be positive, have a positive attitude. There's, there's so much negativity out in social media. And when we can get engaged in conversations and, and stay positive, walk away um, knowing that we stay positive in the conversation, that, that we didn't uh, do any attacking or negative campaigning, but we're just staying positive. And if, if a person chooses not to eat beef, it's their choice, and we respect that. And so, you know, it's more important to make that friend, build that relationship, than try to win the argument. You guys have a great online presence at beefboard.org. What's trending is Truthful Tuesday, and I, I love your Truthful Tuesdays because it just... It takes an aspect of the beef industry that people have questions about because uh, the one uh, this past Tuesday was talking about the difference between beef and hamburger. And I think it's something that yeah. all in the industry, I mean, not just the consumer who has no ties to agriculture, but us in the industry right. can look at this and go, huh, I didn't know. Right. If there's people out there listening on social media, that's a great reminder to follow follow the beef checkoff on Twitter and like the Facebook page so that you can um, learn more about what's going on. But just because you know what? I didn't even know that there was a difference between hamburger and ground beef. And so when I saw that as well, I, w- I told my husband, and he was like, wow, okay. So we're even being educated ourselves as producers, which allows us then to do that. Um, we have this great program called Masters of Beef Advocacy. We have over 800,000 beef producers in the United States, and only 16,000 have gone through this program. It was paid for by checkoff dollars. It's an excellent online format. You can go at your own pace. Um, we had someone this week uh, that was there for training and and went through it one night, and it took him like 20 or 30 minutes. So it's not hard, but it, it, it is a really great program to understand what the, how we got here, the history, and then how we're all connected. And, and then you get a nice little certificate. But it also kind of empowers you and gives you information to help you go out and share the story. You talk about being connected, and I think who works is stopping by the grocery store, picking up this food, and taking it home to feed to her family. We've increased the quality of our product so much since the late 70s. And part of that was through the Beef Quality Assurance Program that we, we're putting, we're using our injection sites only where they're, they should be to not affect the quality of the meat. We've increased our ability to have the choice and prime and also provide lean cuts by splitting that carcass out even better. So we're answering the needs the consumer has. Beef Board Chairman Joan Roskamp. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And as we've talked today, John, on several occasions, it's Trump, it's trade, it's tariffs, and uh, we've seen turnaround in the grains, but livestock, uh, red, red, red. 
Yeah, just I think that kind of set the tone early, and really the threat of the tariffs are more the issue here on the li- on the row crop side. It's there's very little um, that they're going to do to to the U.S. farmer on that in that front. Now you could say they could bleed it from the other side of it. They're going to really hit the livestock industry, which is you know essentially the big feed for corn. But you know, in the case of corn and wheat. There just isn't much they can do. They don't import any corn, and they certainly could probably do something on face value to, to kind of threaten everybody. But uh, I, the way I looked at today was China's in a corner, and their, uh, their response was very underwhelming, in my opinion, and it tells me a lot about where they are. I think uh, the one thing everybody has to kind of get straight here is they're looking into all of this stuff is, one, the U.S. is the customer here. So in the, in the transaction process that we're, we're all analyzing, we are the buyer. We, have the, we are the ones with the $700 billion trillion, or billion dollar deficit. China doesn't want to lose that business. So they've got to figure out a way to punish us on this trade war without having us cut commission, commitments to, uh, to buy their stuff because, in reality, they don't have anybody else to sell it to. We're the biggest economy in the world. So that is why I think today when they went after the hogs, it wasn't a surprise they are the world's largest producer of livestock, of hogs. So, you know, if you're going to tariff something, more, why wouldn't you start there? So, again, if they were going to really go after beans, I think they would have done it. They're going to continue to threaten beans. I imagine you're going to see a lot of press pieces about it in the coming weeks. But, in my opinion, they have no recourse to bring beans, uh, but else to bring in U.S. soybeans. There, there's nothing else they can do. So, short term, uh, you know, markets are going to trade around these threats, but I think it's important to keep that kind of theory in mind as you're, you're farming this summer. And then we've also saw a pretty good sell-off in the U.S. dollar today. Is that pro-grains? For sure, pro-wheat. I mean, I think if, if any of this, you know, repercussion, we could actually increase our exports from it. So, um, you know, I think it's important, and I don't mean to go on these diatribes, and this isn't political at all, but the governments, that we're, the people we're running this are playing chess. They're not playing checkers. And we're not looking for short-term gains. We're going to change the long-term picture. And, yeah, we might have to take some heat, and there might be some pain in the short term, but I think over the long run, uh, the fact is, the U.S. ag products that go to go to China are going to continue to flow that way, and I don't. I see very little change in the short term. That's John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing Service. For more information, go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. As we take a look here again, green on the screen for grains, red for livestock. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 